Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Come on, aren't you thankful for His Spirit that is so evident here this evening? I'm thankful for the house of God. Thankful for what I feel in the house of God. I'm thankful that we're not just here alone. But his promise is very evident here tonight. I ask you to join me if you can in a very familiar passage of scripture, Second Chronicles chapter 7. While you're finding that, Brother Rayleigh's already mentioned it, but several, several people along with Brother and Sister Boyd are at General Conference this week. And let's keep them in your prayers that God would speak a word to them so that they can come and do the same for us. They, they need to be fed just like we need to be fed, and I believe that God can do that. Also, Sister Linda Sullivan is in need of prayer tonight. If we can keep her in your prayer as well, that God would touch her, and we are believing that he will. Second Chronicles 7 and 14, very familiar passage of Scripture. The Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If my people, if they will humble themselves, if they will pray and if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... Will I hear, not maybe, not sometimes, but I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to touch the word to us tonight. Lord, we thank you, God, once again. We don't come into this place in a cavalier way, Lord, but we are here on purpose and with a purpose. God, that your word would be spoken throughout this service, Lord, that you would anoint our minds together that we would be in one heart and that we would be in one mind and in one accord. Because you said in your word, God, that if we were in that state, that you would visit us and that you would come into our midst. And so we're asking you, Lord, tonight to be in that place. Help us to feel your heartbeat and help us to heal, hear the fall of your footsteps in this place tonight, God. And we'll be careful God's so careful to give you praise and adoration in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. We live in an unsettled society. We live in a world that is in upheaval. There are thankfully isolated events in the world today that come about that Sometimes shine a ray of hope, but for the most part, 
Our world, unfortunately, is in a state of upheaval. The way people choose to live their lives will differ from person to person. Each one, each set, choosing their own lifestyle or mindset that will most often change with the dawning of every day. Most of which will challenge the foundations that have been set so, so long ago and will attempt to circumvent the covenants of old. We live in a society that have a worldly mindset and their ideals are so far advanced that they say that the ideals of yesterday are old and they are antiquated and people seek for something new. They seek for satisfaction and solace in all the wrong places. The Bible says that we would be living in this time. In fact, Paul told Timothy very emphatically that we would be in a world that idolatry and witchcraft and unnatural and ungodly lifestyles would rule the day and men despising those that are good would make their own rules as they went. Paul said that they would falsely accuse, that they would be disobedient and unthankful and they would be unholy and the list can go on and on and on. But one particular word that he used in that discourse to his young protege in 2 Timothy 3 and 3, Paul said that there would be truce breakers. That word just stood out to me and studied truce breakers and I looked it up that word in the Greek is espondos. It literally means without libation, which is usually accompanied by a treaty. By implication, it means that they would be truceless or implacable. That means that they would not be able to be persuaded. They would not be able to be persuaded to enter in to any type of treaty or any type of covenant to enter in whatsoever, but they would think their own way and that they would choose their own path and they would be called truce breakers. People that would not want to enter into any type of covenant whatsoever. But I'm thankful tonight that God is not a truce breaker. But the God that I serve tonight so emphatically is not a truce breaker. In fact, he is the absolute polar opposite. God is a God of promises and God is a God of sure promises so much so that 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 says for all the promises of God are in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us 2 Peter 3 and 9 Peter so emphatically stated that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men Count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so tonight, I want to talk to you from a very simple subject and a very simple message. I want to talk to you tonight about settled promises. Settled promises, and in particular, these promises our prayer, His presence. They are settled promises, our prayer, and his presence. I'm thankful that God is a God of definite absolutes. He does not waver, 
and he never fails. And God is a covenant maker. Deuteronomy 7 and 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I'm thankful that his covenant is not limited and it is not relegated to one single solitary era of time, but his promise and his covenant is forever settled. It is forever secure. It is eternally and steadfastly everlasting. His covenant will last to a thousand generations. And so promises have been established and ground rules have been set and limits and lines, hear me, have been tested, but they have been found to be absolute. You ask anyone who has stepped outside of the will of God, and if they are honest with you, they will tell you that that line is true and that line is forever settled and there are consequences to stepping outside of that covenant line. And so the covenant has been instituted. The covenant has been set and the covenant still holds its end of the bargain today and the covenant is simply this. Seek me and you will find me. Search after me with all of your heart and I will be found of you. You see his promises, his covenants are so steadfastly secure. He told Jeremiah things like this, if you can break my covenant of the day and of the covenant of the night and that there should not be day and night in their season, then may also my covenant be broken. He said if you can say hey day quit being day and hey night quit being night, you can't do it because I've already told it, it's already settled, it's already done, you can't break it. And if you could, then I could break my covenant with you, but I'm not going to break it because that can't be broken. God is a God of covenants and he is not a covenant breaker. But hear me, it can be broken, but it's man who breaks the covenant. God's promises, we've already said it, are sure. They are yea and they are amen. God cannot lie and he will uphold every word that he has ever spoken to his people. And that word is simply this. I have promised you relationship. I have promised you relationship. I have promised you Communication. I have promised you a way to get to me. And he has promised that if we pray, he will hear and he will answer. And so let's talk about that for a moment. Prayer. And I don't mean to insult anyone's intelligence tonight, but what is prayer? I think it's a question that begs an answer. I think there's some young people tonight here in this building that need to know 
what prayer really is at its core, at its foundation. What is prayer? I think there's some older people here tonight that really need to know what prayer is at its core and its foundation. I need to know what prayer is and what it means for me. And so for us to understand what prayer is, we must first understand the fundamentals of prayer. And to understand the fundamentals, we only have one place that we can go. And it is the book that I hold in my hand. To understand the fundamentals of prayer and what it is, we must understand the book. And we must understand that the Word of God is primarily a prayer book. I know that's very simple. And I know that it sounds so simple to its core And we're used to hearing things that are so high and lofty and above, beyond. We go to conferences and we hear great words of God. But God wants us to know that he is not a complex God. Yes, he is deep. The Bible says that we can search him and never know the end of him. But what he is wanting us to know tonight is that I am available to you. If you will just call out to me, I will answer. And so in commandments... We are commanded to pray in scripture. We are commanded to pray some 250 times and it speaks of prayer an additional 280 times. The Bible is replete with examples of prayer and often give account of those prayers specifically in specifics the book of psalms a book within the book is often referred to as a musical arrangements or a book of poetry but at the same time i know you know this but they are recorded heartfelt prayer and communication to god the writer of the majority of the book of psalms king david was referred to a man as a man after god's own heart and so it is clear to see that god's desire is for his people to pray because god desires relationship it's made mention of quite often but that cool of the day experience that adam and eve experienced in the garden was nothing more than god's desire to be with his creation it was nothing more than god's desire to communicate with the man that he had made yet that communication and that relationship led to a severance through sin and that communication was separated but god's desire has never changed and the god-breathed soul has never ceased to desire that same closeness and communion as well and so the result we see it in the world today is this constant seeking after something to fulfill the heart of man yet men have have, have found other things to put their lives in and put into their lives and so we see this constant seeking of a companion but God is on the other end of all of that saying I too am seeking a companion I'm seeking a people that will pray I'm seeking a bride that will be a chaste virgin to me and that will pray to me and have a deep rooted relationship with me that breach of that relationship and that separation from his presence has always constantly caused him to offer a means of access into his presence and hear me tonight we know this but it is for whosoever 
will. And when it is for whosoever will, that access is facilitated by one thing, and that one thing is, is absolute devotion and prayer to God. The benchmark. First mention of the act can be found in Genesis 4 and 26. The Amplified says, And to Seth also a son was born, whom he named Enos. At that time men began to call upon God by the name of the Lord. And so from the very beginning, men have sought after God, and God has sought after man. And from the beginning, the people that were called God's people called on the name of the Lord. And so if we brought it all the way down and to the core of what it is, prayer is simply calling on the name of the Lord. It is putting ourselves in a position to call on Him. And I've already said it and I'll say it a thousand more times tonight. If we'll call Him, He will answer. You see, before there was ever a church, before there was ever traditions made by men, a pattern was established and it was established by calling on the name of the Lord. And that pattern was sealed with a promise, a forever settled promise that says, call on me and I will answer you no matter where you are, no matter what's going on. If you will call on me, I will hear you and I will answer you. And so from that moment until now, God has not changed his mind and his promises are still true tonight. Charles Spurgeon once said, a mighty piece of weaponry in the battle of prayer is God's promise. And so they go hand in hand. Our prayer his promise. His prayer, our, our, his, his promise and our prayer. Our prayer and his promise. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 18 and 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's not an excuse. That's not something that we just say when there's just us four and no more. But God promised it then and it is still settled tonight that where we are gathered together in his name and we call upon his name, he's promised to be in the midst of us. Can I say it like this? In the good times, he's promised to be with us. In difficult times he's promised to be with us you see one of the greatest promises that God has ever made to any man or people on this earth is not that I will forgive you although that promise is there it is not that I will prepare a place for you although he promised that too it is not that I will provide your needs according to my riches in glory even though that promise is in the book as well it is not that I will provide for you but the great greatest promise that God has ever given to his people is that I will be with you. He said, I will be with you. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is 
God with us. And so having that knowledge in the forefront of our brains ought to bring us together every chance we get because if we are together and we are in one accord and we call on his name, he said, I will be there. And if God is there, let me tell you something, anything can take place if God is in the building. I don't care what sickness is in the building. It can't live with him. He said, if I'm there, I will pour out my spirit and I will touch you and I will be with you. Knowing that should not only bring us together, but it ought to bring a boldness to our prayer. We ought to stand flat-footed and say, God, pour out your spirit because he's already promised it. He's already given it. He's already poured it out. We've already seen it. And so we ought to stand with boldness and say, do it again, God. Understanding that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth, can I get an amen? The man who spoke it all into existence has said, if you will call on me, I will step into the midst of your situation. I will step into the midst of your problem and where his kingdom is anything can happen what a great assurance to know that all of that is brought about by being together agreeing together and praying together prayer hear me tonight prayer is not a right. Prayer is not a is not a is not a right that was made by some clergyman that wrote it in a book. It's not some liturgy that some man says and that we repeat back to him blank and without promise. But prayer, prayer, the very act of prayer, the act that we can call on God, that we don't have to wait for one person to enter in to the holiest of holies. But wherever we are, whether we are together or whether we are apart, we can lift our hands to heaven and we can lift our voice and say, God, we need you now and he will be in the midst God has given us a privilege to pray the opportunity to bring our needs before the king of kings the lord of lords the owner of a thousand hills of cattle He owns it all. Every storehouse, everything is in the palm of his hand. And so don't tell me that to be able to walk into the presence of God and pray to a holy God is not a privilege that he has given us. Bringing our needs and our supplications before the only one who can supply them, both great and small and so with that we should pray we should pray every opportunity that we get we should pray without ceasing I like what brother Rayleigh said a few services ago pray without ceasing prayer should be 
an instinct. Prayer is not the last line of defense. It is not something that we retreat to or that we are backed in a corner to do. But prayer can go before us. And prayer can fight our battles. And prayer can do more in a moment of time than any man could ever do on this earth. And communication with God should be instinct. And it should be lifestyle. Prayer is the life's blood of the church. And hear me today. Prayer must remain the life's blood of the church. Without prayer, no one would scarcely survive. Without prayer, no one would survive the constant attack of the enemy. And hear me tonight, without prayer, none of us will be in this building at this very moment. Without prayer, there would be no church. Without prayer, there would not even be this dispensation. Prayer brought it all about, and prayer is what we need. Without prayer, there is no vision. And without prayer, there is no direction. And we must pray like we have never prayed before. Notice, I didn't say I must pray like I should never pray before, although I should pray like I have never prayed before. But I said we should pray more and together than we ever have before. We, we hold the key. We hold the key that can unlock everything that ails the world today. And so with that, if we should pray, then what should we pray for? First Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I exhort my son, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For there, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. First of all, prayers, supplications, and intercessions be made for all Men, Jesus said in Luke 10 and 2, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his har- harvest. You see the statements that are made by Jesus and by Paul in these two passages of Scripture tend to displace the focus off of self and places the focus on others. And so the bottom line is simply this. We have, we have a world to win. We have an enemy to overcome. And we have the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to usher in to this dispensation. And the only way that it will come about is if his people will 
pray if they will pray for everything that is going on that is wrong and I know that there are a lot of things that are going on but hear me today we hold the key that can unlock God's spirit upon this earth I really believe that this is not just some cute notes that I wrote down but I really believe that this people, this apostolic people, hold the key to everything that is wrong in this world today. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. This church, I said this church is built on prayer and the very dispensation that we are living in was brought about by nothing other than prayer what makes anyone think that if it was brought about by prayer in the beginning there's going to be nothing less that will continue it throughout this dispensation until the second coming of the Lord other than passionate and fervent and corporate prayer the early church prayed Acts 1 for these all all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren Acts 2 we find them on the day of Pentecost when it was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The church was born through prayer and 3,000 families, men, women and children were added to the church. Souls were were added to the church because of obedient and powerful, fervent prayer. He said, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And that's what they did. And they prayed until his spirit was poured out. What makes anyone think that if God is going to do it again and again and again, it's not going to take the same thing. Oh, we don't have to do that. We can just have a program and we can just have some cute things here and there and God will still move he may still move for individuals but God will not move for a corporation of people unless they are willing to humble themselves and bow before God and pray to him and ask for him to move but it did not stop there it was not just on the day of Pentecost, but they knew something. They, they got a hold of something. Wait a minute. He said to Terry, he said to stay right there and he would pour out his spirit and if he did it once, he'll do it again. That's why in Acts 4 and 31, the Bible says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak the word of God with boldness and the multitude.
multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. It just kept going in Acts 12 in verse 5. You know that Peter was kept in prison. He, he was supposed to be executed, but the Bible says that he was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church not just a few not just one not just us four and no more but the Bible says that the that the church prayed unto God for him and he was delivered out of that prison an angel showed up what would we do if an angel showed up and took us out of a place because of prayer if he did it then I believe that he can do it again and the next thing you know Peter was knocking on the door I'm here I'm here I'm not held in bondage anymore because the church prayed and God delivered me. Acts 16 and 25, we know it well. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. I'm here to tell you tonight that when God's people get together and pray, mighty and miraculous things happen when God's people get together in one heart and in one mind and in one accord God's miraculous power will show up because prayer facilitates the miraculous power of God. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and thank you. And so I say again, Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people prerequisite which are called by my name. The verses preceding Second Chronicles 7 and 14 correspond with the verses found in 1 Kings 8 and chapter 9. The preceding chapters of Second Chronicles, we find Solomon building and dedicating the temple to God. He's found skilled laborers and craftsmen to build the structure, to build the furniture and the vessels that would be kept therein and has assembled the people together. Second Chronicles 7 and 14, it's God's answer to Solomon's prayer. And the temple dedication is, is, is actually unique to this particular chapter of the book. Solomon prays before God upon his knees with his arms outstretched. A king, a man of great stature, a man that the Bible says was one of the most prominent men that has ever walked the face of the earth, yet he got upon his knees with his arms outstretched. And he prays to God, and he prays for God to hear the prayer of the people from the temple. He prays for God's provision 
And he cries out to God in absolute sincerity, asking him to hear from heaven. And just as God promised, God hears and he answers. Now this particular passage is not found in 1 Kings, yet it contains some of the most famous words in the entire Old Testament. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Solomon's entire prayer is based on the needs of the people. And his focus is primarily on the act of humble obedience and the request that God would respond to it. And God's response absolutely reiterates everything that Solomon had prayed throughout that temple dedication. And it is what his glory responded to. It is what his presence was drawn to. It's easy to see that the entire, that the entire discourse closely adheres to God's primary focus of promise. That humility brings about restoration and humble prayer draws God's presence. It fulfills the desire for God to restore brokenness and put together things that were separated and torn apart. It's easy to see that it closely adheres to the Acts 2.38 experience of repentance and water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Ghost brought about by repentant prayer. The beginning of separation that is caused by sin, God has chosen to put it back together with that Acts 2.38 experience. And so from the chronicler's viewpoint, God's promise to heal Israel's land in restorative, it is restorative in nature, and there is no greater example in, in the book that you would find that God has always called for repentant prayer, and he has always promised to restore, and he is drawn to people that will come together and do that corporately, because God always, hear, hear me, God promises to always hear humble and obedient people. It's what gives power to our prayer. It's what gives power to our prayer when we come together in absolute obedience to God and in alignment with his word. We have repented of our sins. We have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins and we have been filled with the promise of the Holy Ghost. And when we lift up our voice in one heart and in one mind and in one accord, God says that's my people I hear them let me go see what they need and he will be in the midst of them humble and obedient prayer from God's people is what gives power to prayer in the first place it is that we are people that are called by his name secondly it is humility and thirdly it is seeking God's face Let me pause here for just a moment. There's one other aspect, but we 
need to slow down here for just a moment. He said, you are my people. If you humble yourselves and pray, seek my face. All aspects of this are extremely important to fulfilling God's purpose in prayer, but we must pay attention closely to seeking God's face. Seeking God's face. That word face means as the part that turns. Perhaps that is why Job said, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. Backward, but I can't perceive him on the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him, but he knoweth, he knoweth the way that I go. He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I looked for his left hand, but I couldn't find it. I looked for his right hand, but he hid that from me on his left hand where he does work and on his right hand where he shows his authority and his power but he knows he knows the way that I should go he knows what I should do and I have not left off his word and his commandment you see when we seek God's face and not his hands when we seek God's presence and not the result of God's hands and the miracle God will show up because we will seek his face we will seek his direction we will seek his face and where he is turning toward and hear me today if we seek his face his hands and his feet will follow if we will seek the direction of God his hands will present themselves I failed to say this tonight and so let me say it in the Holy Ghost to whoever's here or whoever is listening. Perhaps everything is not working out in your life because you have sought his hands and not his face. Perhaps you have looked for the work of God. 
perhaps you have looked for the result and the authority and the power of God and it is not showing up in your life like it is supposed to or the way you think it is supposed to but I'm here to say it again seek his face and not his hands seek his will and not the miracle if you will seek his presence the miracle will follow seeking his face is seeking his will his plan and his purpose and if we will seek his face everything else will manifest itself in the right time the way God has chosen to believe it I still believe what Jesus said and these signs shall follow them that believe we don't seek after the sign like the Pharisees and the Sadducees do but we seek after him we want to be with him we want to be in his presence we want his presence to manifest itself to us we want to feel his heartbeat and hear the fall of his footsteps and hear me today when God steps in to the building and when God steps in to the plan and purpose God's miracles will follow Jesus prayed let this cup pass from me nevertheless thy will be done his disciples asked him Lord teach us to pray and he said when you pray you say thy kingdom come and thy will be done and hear me today all that searching and all that seeking that Job was doing for his left hand and for his right hand when he sought the will of God and the presence of God. The Bible says that the captivity of Job was turned when he prayed for his friends. I'm saying to you tonight that if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will forgive and heal their land. It was exactly 12 noon on September the 23rd in 1857. A little more than 150 years ago, a tall, middle-aged former businessman climbed creaking stairs to the third story of an old church building in the heart of lower Manhattan. He entered an empty room. He pulled out his pocket watch and he sat down to wait. A placard outside read prayer meeting from 12 to 1 o'clock. Stop 5, 10, or 20 minutes, the whole hour, whatever your time admits. At first, it looked like no one had any time as the minutes ticked by. Minute by minute, the solitary waiter wondered if it was all just a mistake. For some three months, he had been visiting boarding houses, shops, and offices, inviting people to the 80-year-old Old Dutch North Church at Fulton and William Streets. The church had fallen on slim days. Old families had moved away. The business neighborhood was teeming with a floating population of immigrants and laborers. Other churches had gotten out of it. Many thought that the old 
Dutch church should throw in the towel as well, but the trustees determined that one effort remained. They decided to hire a, a lay missionary to conduct a visitation program by the name of Jeremiah C. Lamphere, a merchant who had no experience whatsoever in church visitation work. 49 years old, he gave up his trade position to knock on doors for a salary of less than $1,000 a year. The going was slow. A few families came, but often he would return to his room in the old church constitutory weary and discouraged at such times he would spread out his sorrows before the Lord and never failed to draw new strength from his time of prayer. While going his rounds of visitations, the idea occurred to him that businessmen might like to get away for a short period of prayer once a week while offices were closed at noon. With position of the church officials, he passed out handbills and put up the placard. When the day of the first meeting arrived, he was the only one on hand. He waited ten minutes and ten minutes more. The minute hand of his watch pointed at 12.30 when at last he heard one single solitary step. One man came in, then another, until there were six. After a few minutes of prayer, the meeting was dismissed, and they decided to meet the following Wednesday. Nothing extraordinary happened, but he had no idea of knowing what was to incur after the beginning of what would be a great national revival that would sweep an estimated one million persons into the kingdom of God. Looking back, historians can see that the conditions were ripe for revival. The revival of 1800 began a golden age of religious interest. But by 1843, a nation intent upon getting and spending had lost interest in religion. The West had opened up. Gold was discovered in California. Rolled Railroads were beginning to be a craze and the slavery issue was hot. Fortunes ballooned and faith diminished. Lamphere said, I don't know much about such things. All he knew was that men stood in need of prayer. Within six months, 10,000 Businessmen out of the population of 800,000 were gathering daily in New York City for prayer. In January 1858, there were at least 20 other prayer meetings going full tilt in the city. At one time, for instance, a man wandered into the Fulton Street meeting who intended to murder a woman and then commit suicide. He listened as someone was delivering a fervent exhortation and urging the duty of repentance. Suddenly the would-be murderer startled everyone by crying out, Oh, what shall I do to be saved? Just then, another man arose with tears streaming down his cheeks and asked the meeting to sing the hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. At the conclusion of the service, both men were converted. Another time, an aged pastor got up to pray for the son of a man of another clergyman. Unknown to him, his son was sitting some distance behind him. The young man, knowing himself to be a sinner, was so impressed at his father's heartfelt prayer for another man's son that he made himself known to the meeting and said he wanted to submit to God. 
And he became a regular attender of that prayer meeting. What am I saying by all of that? Lamphere didn't know much, but all he knew was that men stood in need of prayer. And when men stand in need of prayer, God is drawn to the hunger and the humility of those people. And kingdom-minded men and kingdom-minded people praying kingdom-minded prayers will always produce a miracle move of God. When our requests, and I said our requests, are made known to God and align with his will, God's presence will manifest itself. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, when God enters the situation anything is bound to happen when God hears the prayer of a humble and repentant people God will answer time would not permit for us to go over all of the occurrences and the instances of the mighty revivals that have taken place in this country and around the world but I can tell you this if prayer if revival ever started if revival ever broke forth hear me at the core at the core was a people that would stand before God with their hands outstretched humble in their hearts to say God pour out your spirit God's people if they will pray God will hear but one more one more deserves attention and I am coming to a close if our musicians will come Perhaps it was men like Lamphere that was hungry for God and hungry for more that bled over into the lives of other men and other families. I don't know if these two situations are even remotely related. But we all know what happened in 1906. 216 Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. A man by the name of William J. Seymour who didn't even have the baptism of the Holy Ghost yet preached it with fervency that God will pour out his spirit and when he does you will speak with other tongues as the spirit gave utterance he believed it and he preached it and in 1906 in the humble home of two people on Bonnie Bray Street William J. Seymour and just a handful of people prayed and they tarried just like God told those 12 men. You wait, 
you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They prayed all night long. And I don't know what time it was, but I'm certainly sure that it was after the midnight hour. William J. Seymour was baptized with the power of the Holy Ghost. And the Azusa Street Revival came out of that home of those few people. I'm here to tell you that God commands his people to pray. And when God commands it, we ought to do it. And when we do it, he will fulfill his purpose in this church and in our lives. All we have to do is obey. All we have to do is do what God is calling us to do and pray and God will pour out his spirit. Come on, let's stand together with our hands lifted to heaven now. Let's stand and let God touch us now in the name in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus I close with this some are called to preach some are called to be evangelists some are called to teach some have been called to prophesy and some have been called to be an apostle but hear me tonight all are called to pray. And he gave some. And he gave some. And he gave some this. And he called others to do this. feel the awesome power of the presence of God in this house right now he said I've called some to preach and I've called some to go and start churches I've called some to teach I've called some be prophets and apostles but I've called every baptized believer to the office of prayer you see you're the only one that can stand in the gap and in this last day the church is the only one 
who can stand in the gap between the living and between the dead, between the porch and between the altar. The church is the only God-called entity on the church that can make a difference in this hour. Hear me today. This world is in upheaval. This world is in derision. And this world is in division. But hear me today. The church stands at a pivotal point to bring all of the things that are separated back together again. I'm here to tell you that this world is in need of a cure. And the cure is not debate. The cure is not going out and standing on a soapbox. The cure is not berating and and talking down. The cure is not screaming and hollering to the top of our lungs about what is going on wrong in this world. But the cure is when a people that are called by His name will humble themselves and pray and seek His face. Then and only then will He hear from heaven and heal their land. I'm talking to us tonight about settled promises. They are forever settled. They are concrete. They cannot be moved. They cannot be stirred. They are foundationally secure. If my people, come on somebody, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, uh, will humble themselves and pray. I think that it would be fitting tonight if we did just that. If we didn't try to just mow past this service, just just push past this moment to get to the end and so that we can go home. I know that it may be late. I know that it may be pressing. You may have pressing things to do now and even in the morning. But I'm here to say that God has called His people to pray. I'm here to tell you that these altars are open. You can make an altar where you stand. You can do whatever you feel to do at this moment. But God has called us to pray. Oh God, that Zion would travail and would try. When Zion would travail. Oh God, things can give birth in this hour. If Zion will travail in this hour. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 935 
2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.